Welcome back, listeners and subscribers, to For Your Amusement, where we discuss theme parks all around the country and all for your amusement. Today, I'm here with my friends Nick and Nolan. Guys, welcome. Well, welcome to – don't cough, man. Do not cough. Do not segue. <laughs> no, oh, God. All the prompts getting us already. No, that was bullshit. We had that plan. I, I know you had that shit planned. <laughs> I just swear, I swear, Kyle, Kyle had a long pause. I didn't know when he was going to start. Let hold it. <laughs> hold it. <laughs> All right. So uh, if you guys, I know we have two people on here who celebrate Hanukkah. Folks, if you're listening and you celebrate Hanukkah, happy belated Hanukkah. I know that's already passed. And we got Christmas coming up, which is gone. This year's gone by way too fast. So uh, by the time you're listening to this, I'm assuming Christmas will have happened. So Merry Christmas to the, those of you out there who celebrate. Um, I recently just got back from Disney and a quick trip to Universal to see what was going on up there for Christmas. And I got to say Universal, I didn't go to Islands this time. I just stayed in Universal. I know, no, no, and you're going to Universal when? January, beginning of January? Yeah, like beginning of January. Yeah, yeah. So I know he's going to see uh, uh, Brendan Fraser's last coffee cup tantrum and the last time with Shrek. So I, I did the mummy, had to do the mummy before it could potentially be taken away. The only thing that I have a gripe with with Universal, we watched the parade, the Christmas parade. They have to figure out a way to get more energy into their parades because no offense to Universal <laughs> – but I was kind of bored during that parade, man. It's just like static float after people holding a giant Macy's balloon after static float. It just kind of needs uh, some life. But I do have an interesting story. So I saw the horror makeup show, classic show. If you haven't seen it, it's a must. The very beginning of the show, they call somebody out of the audience, and he calls this guy out. The guy happened to be from Philly. He's wearing an Eagles mask. Shout out to the Eagles. <laughs> And he points to this guy, and there was a kid sitting in front of him who happened to be autistic, and the kid thought he picked him. So he jumps up, and he's all excited. He's like, yeah, bro, I'm getting on stage. So he hops on stage, and the guy's like, okay, well, I can't cut this kid's arm because that's obviously what they do in the show. They pretend like they're cutting somebody's arm. They show the blood bag, how it works, whatever, yada, yada. So he comes up with an idea to get the kid to sit down, but he's like, listen, you're going to be the audience captain for the rest of the show, right? So they switch places. The guy finally comes up. The kid goes to sit down, and he's playing, you know, off the kid the whole time. Should we do this? If the kid says yes, they do it. If the kid says no, they don't. So the show goes smooth most of the time, and then the very end of the show where they do that whole monster reveal with the whole electric hat, and he mimics the movements of the participant, whatever, and the guy comes to life and scares everybody, whatever. The kid decided to get up out of his seat and just jump on stage again, and they were really apprehensive about doing this with this kid on stage because they didn't know what could have happened. So <laughs> he decides to uh, just make himself right at home in the middle of the stage, literally in the middle of the stage, takes a nice seat. And uh, it was actually really, really, they played play it really, really well. So the, the guy who was like the host of the show kind of like stood over him and was like protecting him. I have some pictures that I took from it. No, and I'll show you next time I see you, but it was a really great moment. They handled it really well. The improv was really great. That show is absolutely amazing. If you haven't seen it, you got to see it. 
But Wait, that's awesome. But what did they do? Like, like how did they end the show instead? So they still did it, but I obviously the guy in the suit was aware of the situation because he's hearing what's going on, and he kind of like downplayed his uh, mannerisms, so he didn't really go after the kid. They kind of shortened it a little bit, and they they made it work. But it was probably the best horror makeup show that I've seen because of the improv. They had to think on their feet really quick. A lot of the dialogue was cut from the show because they were just ad-libbing so much. Um, Yeah, 10 out of 10 show. Whoever that guy was that was the host of the night, you're freaking awesome. You should get a movie contract. Anyway, here's what we're here for. Went to Disney, and I'm here to report a first-hand experience of two rides that I've never been on. Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, and Kyle's been on it, The Rise of the Resistance. So I know Nolan hasn't been on either, and Kyle hasn't been on one of them. So I'm going to do my best to keep this uh, as spoiler-free as possible. So I'm going to start with Mickey and Minnie's, and my review of Mickey and Minnie's is uh, We Need the Great Movie Ride Back. And it's a good ride. It's a fun ride. I had a really great time. There's some really great surprises, tricks engineering feats, but it's nothing in comparison to what the great movie ride was. It's the same queue layout. It's just very bare, and they have a nice reveal into the loading dock that I'm not going to reveal on here. You guys kind of have to experience it for yourself because I was freaking blown away when it happened. Um, But it's a trackless system. You start off in a train which ends up breaking off, and you go through various scenarios. A lot of it is sort of sitting and watching, which I wasn't the biggest fan of. Um, But it does have some really neat moments. I'll give it like a a 6.5 out of 10. I waited, I think I waited a half hour for it, which wasn't too bad. I wouldn't wait anything over that. So if you're going and you've never been, half hour or less, don't waste your, your trip otherwise. But the Kyle, you've been on it, so you can chime in on this. Rise of the Resistance, interesting story here. Tried the first day, and it was closed for most of the day, so I didn't even attempt to get in line. Second day, woke up early, got to the park, early admission, got in line. As soon as I got in line, the ride was temporarily closed. So I wasn't going to waste my morning guessing when it was going to reopen, so I hopped out of line. And it was closed until, like I think, 12 o'clock, and I was in line at 8.30, so that was obviously a good decision. So I was checking wait times throughout the day. It was like three and a half hours at one point. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I don't care how good this ride is. I'm not doing that. And it closed down again. It was like maybe seven o'clock at night and the park was closing at nine. So my goal was to get in line at eight, no matter what the wait time was and just stick it out. So the ride comes back up at like 630, hop in line at eight. As soon as I hop in line, there were maybe 15 people behind me for whatever reason They closed the line down for that day. So I got very, very lucky. I was very close to missing my opportunity, but I was super blessed, right? Okay, there's that. Get in line. As soon as I get in line, I hit the wall of people, stop moving. They come on the intercom and say that the ride is temporarily closed. We don't know when we're going to reopen. So I'm like, well, listen, I'm freaking here. I'm already hot and sweaty because it was actually pretty warm up there when I went. I'm sticking it out. If they kick, They're going to have to kick me out for me to, to leave this line. Maybe 15 minutes later, we get the call, back up, regularly scheduled program, super excited. I waited maybe an hour, which was so exciting because I thought I was going to wait like two, three hours. So, uh, Kyle, I'm going to do this, this piece by piece. Kyle, what was your 
impression on the queue for Rise of the Resistance? So, okay, so I liked the queue. Um, the queue was, it was fine. It wasn't like anything special, I thought. Like the special part comes after the queue. Okay, agreed. No, Nolan, uh, are you, what are you against me talking about? Because I don't want to spoil uh, anything for you. No, you, you could, uh, you could talk about anything because I've seen like a majority of it. So you're good on okay. that. Yeah. Okay, so if you've been on Hagrid's in Universal Islands of Adventure, there's a portion in the queue where you sort of go through like a cave section. And I would say it's, it's sort of, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like that, but it's similar to that effect where the first quarter of the queue is cave-ish and it's really not that interesting. But once you get to, how would you describe it? You get on like this ship, this cruiser. Yeah. Yep. So these doors open and you enter this queue and you're, is it Akbar that you're greeted by? When you go on, um, like, I think so. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think Akbar was there. So they have like this like X-wing battle <laughs> that you're going through, and Akbar is at the helm of your ship, and Poe comes on once in a while on the screen. Um, and then the doors open, and you're greeted by this wall of stormtroopers. Which I, I mean, I'd seen it. I've seen this in videos. I've seen it in pictures. I should be numb to it, I guess. I was blown away by this. It is so freaking impressive when you see it in person. The room is absolutely 50 foot tall ceilings, this huge life size TIE fighter to your right. The Space 220 has a similar screen where you're like looking out into space. It is mm-hmm. so freaking cool. I mean, it's simple in design because Star Wars ships are relatively simple. If anybody who's seen the movies can attest to that. But. I was really impressed at the fact that you don't move anywhere on this ship, but when the doors open, where you came from and where you go are two different places, so it kind yeah. of trips you out. Yeah, and then that – Go ahead. Sorry, you go first, and then I'll tell you. No, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'm so, on, go ahead. Yeah, so that – I mean, that's my favorite part of the ride. When it opens up and you – you know, the first thing is, like, you're like, we we were – we got in on the other side, and then suddenly we're getting out on the opposite side. That's That's cool, and then – my favorite part is when you get into that, right, and you see all of those stormtroopers, and you're in there, and you definitely feel like you're you're supposed to be captured by, you know, the uh, the Death Star, essentially. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's that's what you're supposed to have, or First Order, whatever they're calling it now. Um, and so what's really cool is that, um, so when you're on the ship, I, I saw a video on it. I can't remember where it was, um, but it's essentially like a rotating, almost like a wheel, where it's like there are like three different spaceships. And so, like, they simultaneously rotate without you noticing it. And so you're going from right to left, and then there's another one that's coming and, like, taking the next group. It's really cool. Interesting. So, first of all, that was a great tidbit. Second, when the doors open and you're greeted by this wall of stormtroopers, there's somebody from the First Order that greets you with a whole different attitude from what every other cast member has been treating you with. A lot of attitude. If you have a lightsaber, they're certainly going to make fun of you. They're going to check it out. They're going to want to clear it. Really, really um, fun way of interacting with the guests because, I mean, they were they were in some people's faces, which I, I really respected out of Disney because usually you don't see that. So you're ushered in onto their you know their ship. There's stormtroopers everywhere. You're sort of being guarded, and it's sort of like you're a prisoner held captive. So they're very strict on where you're supposed to stand and. Listen to me, yada, yada. Then you're ushered into another room, which is triangular in shape. 
Above you on a catwalk is I can't remember the guy's character because I'm not the big Star Wars fan. So Kyle, help me out. Damal Gleason, the guy who's got like a, a crew cut, yeah, sort of made cut hair. What's his name? He's like a commander or something. I can't remember his exact name. Okay, so that guy, you're greeted with that guy and Kylo Ren, and they say some whatever they say. I don't remember what they say. And then the reveal there is okay. Where the heck are we gonna go out of? Because the door shuts and it looks like you're just walled in. All of a sudden, this light, I'm assuming it's a lightsaber, cuts a hole, a door-sized hole in the wall, which pushes open, and it's one of the, I guess it would be like, what, a resistance member that's like here to save you, and he greets you like all happy, there's a whole mood change, and that's where you join your boarding room to get onto your, your car to get on the ride, which I think is really awesome because... Usually you're put in like a pen when you get in most rides, and then you're filed onto it, kind of like a cattle pen. This, it's just an open room. Like, you sort of just walk freely onto the ride, which obviously they tell you which one you're supposed to go onto and whatnot. But it doesn't feel like any other ride that you've been on, which I really, really enjoyed. So you get on, strap you in. There's a seatbelt that goes on, sort of like Test Track, if you've been on Test Track. And then the ride starts. Now, well, wait, wait, but but before that, though, before we get into the ride... Yep. So the coolest part of that ride is how you you get in through it, right? Um, explain. So like you're in that little room, right? And they captured you. Mm-hmm. So like I said, right, the first order captured you, and then all of a sudden, there's like that side wall opens up. Oh no! Yeah, like, that's what I was saying. The door size hole that comes in with like a yeah, laser yeah. digging Sorry, into the wall. That. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that shit was, was really, really cool. cool. I was blown yeah. away by that. So just not to spoil anything, I mean, obviously there's videos out there if you want to see it. Mickey and Minnie's has a very similar way of getting you through a portion of the queue, and that's all I'm going to say. It's very, very cool, very impressive. Probably my favorite part of that ride. Mm-hmm. Now, you get on to Rise of Resistance, right? Strapped in. I think there's eight people per car, four in the front, four in, four in the back. Now, I'd seen videos of this thing, and I wasn't sure what to expect. I had no idea that this thing was going to be as fast. It's not fast. That's not really the right word, but it's a lot quicker than I expected it to be. It's very smooth. It's a trackless system, as you know, you've heard a million times. But it's there's like this ballet that happens when you first go in with the other cars. There's like I think two or maybe four other ones around you, and then you're ushered into like this hallway with a droid and then you're just off and running let me tell you something this ride i understand why it breaks down so much because there's just so much that needs to go right and it was sort of like what happened with haggard when it first opened there's just so much going on that it's bound to break down at some point but kyle were you impressed by the ride oh yeah absolutely and so like you put it perfectly like it feels quick and i think the reason for that is because it's like out of control in a way where you like, because there's no tracking, so you have no idea where you're going. And so mm. when you think you're going right, all of a sudden it juts left and then, you know, the back to the right. And, you know, now it goes, you know, backwards and whatever. And so, like, it definitely just feels like you're out of control and, like, there's no no rhyme or reason to what you're doing. The animatronics on this ride are of the highest standard in the mm-hmm. world. I mean, they are so lifelike. They are so fluid. The costume design on them is absolutely... It's probably better than what the actual actors wore, honestly. It is so freaking well done. There's a lot of... I mean, I'm not going to go scene by scene because you can just watch it on YouTube, but one of my favorite scenes is you end up in front of Kylo Ren, and he's using the Force, so he's controlling your ride car. 
I absolutely love that effect. They used something very similar to that in Mickey and Minnie's. Obviously, they piggybacked off that with having oh. Rise of the Resistance previously made. Go ahead, Kyle. Nick, it's, re- it's really funny because I was just going to say that the ride broke down for me right in front of Kylo Ren. Mm. <laughs> and so, like, I was in front of Kylo Ren for a few minutes, and I'm like, okay, he's got me now. <laughs> but <laughs> There's... did it break down for you? No, that's one thing I was super happy about. Not a single thing went wrong. Every animatronic, every effect, it was freaking awesome. The one thing that absolutely blew my freaking brain out of my skull, there's a portion in the ride where you go through these like giant turret guns that are shooting out into space, and they I don't understand how they move so fluid. They're freaking massive. And you're sort of playing like Frogger with them. And you're ushered into like a shaft, you're locked in a place, and then you do a free fall like you do on Hagrid's, which I think, Kyle, does it feel longer than Hagrid's? It does, yeah. It was nuts. It's so freaking, Nolan, I cannot wait for you to go on this ride, dude. Uh, I promise <laughs> you, we're not hyping, overhyping this. It is so, so, so good. Super happy with it. If you can get on it and wait less than like two hours, absolutely do it. It's pinnacle Disney. The one thing that I can absolutely say I'm in love with. Um, Kyle, favorite scene from the ride? Do you have one? So, actually, it's funny because my favorite part of the ride is when you're dropping. Because, like, you don't expect it at all, and that's just the greatest. It's just, like, Mm. it was so cool. Um, I do like that a lot. Um, I I love the story, to be honest with you. I love that, like, you know, you're kind of captured, and then, you know, they break you out, and Kyle Ren's chasing you. I just love the story overall. Agreed 100%. The only gripe that I'll have with it, I think they built a Finn animatronic for misuse. He's kind of tucked away and hidden. There's really no need to build that. You could have done that with screens. Um, but t- t- 20 million out of 10, Disney, you guys killed it. I'm not that big. Kyle's a Star Wars guy. I'm not the biggest Star Wars guy, and I had the greatest time in the world. So hats off to you guys. Uh, so I have, a, I have a question. Go for it. So, I mean... Kind of, it's kind of wouldn't make sense for me to ask Kyle because he already went on it before because we know how his opinion is on the Star Wars land. But now that you've written the main attraction, does the Star Wars land opinion change? Because I know you weren't that high on it from uh, from the last time that you went. No. And I'll tell you why. When we've talked about this before on the podcast, but when you go, you're—I mean, you'll—I want you to experience it before I say anything because I kind of don't want to like influence your opinion. So take this with a grain of salt. But when you go into Hogsmeade or Diagon Alley, you're in something that you've seen before that you're recognizing, right? When you go into Star Wars, it kind of just feels like you're in the desert. Like it doesn't really feel recognizable. Mm -hmm. It kind of just feels like. Okay, yeah, I guess we're here. I guess this is it. Like, everything's kind of, like, tucked away. Nothing's labeled. You can't really figure out where stuff's at. The Millennium Falcon. Sight lines. Here's one big thing I dislike greatly about uh, the Galaxy's Edge. When you go into Hogsmeade, there's a, a super impressive welcome to it. You go through this archway, and you're greeted with these rooftops that are covered in snow, a giant train to your right. When you go into Diagon Alley, you get these shops and you're greeted with Gringotts Bank with a giant freaking dragon on top of it, right? On, with Star Wars, you're walking around and you're, you're wondering if you're there yet. 
And by the time you get to the Millennium Falcon, there's really not a great lead up to it. It's just kind of like, okay, there it is. So I, I think they, I think they fucked up there. But that's just my opinion. No one, you'll be able to see it and make your own when you get there. But Kyle, do you agree with me? Disagree with me? Hundred percent agree. Because I mean, I've been saying that for a while. It's just the fact that it doesn't feel like you're anywhere that you've been before. Like that's the whole appeal of the Harry Potter world is that you're in the movies like this is like okay you know i think it's, it looks impressive but like there's no nostalgia aspect to it there's no like you know desire to be in a star wars movies agreed 100 percent. all right so two more things and i'm gonna shut the fuck up and we can move on to stuff that's gonna include all of us this is really fast because i think this is kind of interesting so went into i think his name was savi's like no that's not that's where you make it wherever the lightsaber shop is not the one you make but the ones that you can buy out of the case walked in there <laughs> They had a single, a single lightsaber left, and it was raised. The rest of them were completely sold out. They had, I think, for the day, 20 left in stock, and this was like 8.30 in the morning. So, obviously, they were gone. Christmas was a freaking madhouse. I've never been in Disney when it's been this busy. It was freaking jammed. So, I want to give a quick opinion on decorations for Christmas. Each park has its own decorations. This is going to be completely left field. My favorite decorations out of any park was Animal Kingdom, and I'll tell you why. When you go to every other park, you're going to get traditional garland, Christmas tree, wreaths. We've seen that a million times. Animal Kingdom, every single rooftop building, window, their Christmas decorations are made from the country that you're you're sort of being represented by. So like Africa, their wreaths were made of bottle caps. Like everything felt native to the park. Nothing really felt out of place. I think they did a great job set dressing, 110%. Uh, good job, Disney. Now, we can move the fuck on to shit that matters. So, gentlemen, we got some big news today with Universal adopting on, on Christmas Eve. They're going to adopt face masks indoors on attractions. Uh, and I think they're going to require, obviously, that with uh, their cast members or whatever they call them. So, uh, what, what do we think on this? Good decision, bad decision, smart decision, stupid decision? So, my question, I, I don't know exactly. Um, how does Disney work? It's been the same since COVID. It's indoors, got to wear a mask anywhere. Okay. So, um, I think... It's probably the safest move for their cast members or team members just because, um, especially now with all this stuff that's coming up, um, they're going to be dealing with a lot of crowds and a lot of just, like, a lot of stuff going on. So I feel like um, for them to uh, have this, it makes it a lot easier for them. And also, I mean, for the people that are going, it makes them want to come more. Obviously, there's people that probably won't go, but that's not that many people. Um, and it just makes them easier, makes their uh, expenses probably better because they don't really know. It's it's unknown, obviously, with all the stuff that's happening now, so probably better to be safe than sorry. So. Yep, 100% agree. I mean, look... I get it. It's, you know, it's not comfortable. It's inconvenient. But at this time, I mean, with Omicron, Omicron, Omicron it's hard <laughs> to say. <laughs> it's, um, you know, spreading. Maybe it all. <laughs> yeah, it's totally worth it. Um, you got to do what you got to do. I know Florida, <laughs> they're not the best at uh, helping to prevent COVID, but I think you got to do it. 
Agreed. I don't think this is, uh, I don't think it's really arguable. Like, it's not really that big of a deal to putting some shit over your face. If you're doing it for long enough, just deal with it. You can still go to the yeah. parks. They're open. That's what you should be happy about. They're open. Yeah. Agreed. And I know, uh, I remember with, uh, COVID, how, uh, they had, a um, distancing and they had yeah. a bunch of other stuff. So no, nothing, none of that's like happening, you know, it's just, um, Masks are enforced indoors, which I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Like, put it on. I know a lot of people, um, I'm not sure if Kyle you, you saw, but uh, I saw a lot of people kind of throw in fits on like the Facebook uh, annual pass um, Facebook group. And I was just like shaking my head. Like, it's one thing to get like mad at like something, but for that, like, you don't got nothing better to do. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I will say though, I, going to Disney, I feel bad for some of the cast members because you can just see they just get yelled at all day about the mask thing because there's people I, you telling you to put it on. <laughs> yeah, I did see. I'm not sure if it's, it was a poll. I, I have to look exact. I have to find it and send it to you guys. But there was something that was sent. Um, an article was saying that how, um, Disney guests. I think it was just Disney that they're a lot worse, more harsh after uh, this, the pandemic was uh, not over, but once it got lifted, kind of, which makes sense. I mean, people were inside, and um, I don't know. I feel like it's not even just Disney, just in general. A lot of people are just uh, sometimes off the hinges. <laughs> well, you yeah. you say off the hinges, which is interesting. I, I can't tell you how many times – I dealt with cast members that were just absolute dicks, bro. Oh, my God. I mean, I I am not the one to usually keep it together. I'm the one to tell you to go fuck off. But I just didn't have the patience to go after people. And, man, bro, some people were just so disrespectful. And then you freaking work for Disney. Like, I don't understand. Like, I get it. You get shit on sometimes all day. But if you don't like the job... Don't work it, man. If you're gonna work it, work it 100. percent You can't, you can't have that stuff. I'm not, I'm being super nice to everybody, and people are just being jerks to me. Come on, man. Shit, I'm a nice guy. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's a good move, though. So, uh, also, you know, we're gonna use a little PSA here. If you're going to Universal, just freaking bring your mask because you're gonna need it now. You didn't need it before, but you're gonna freaking need it now. Um. So, there's been uh, rumblings in the jungle with Bob Iger coming back as CEO next year in 2022. And as we all know, Bob Chapek, the new CEO that has recently taken over, has not been favorable. He's not been uh, making decisions that are making the general public happy, nor the shareholders, which is kind of more important. They're going to be the guys who uh, are really going to get down his throat. So I just want to have a little open forum here. Uh, it might not happen. He's denied it. You know how that goes. But what's what's uh, first impressions on? Um, I think it's interesting in the fact that um, Mr. Bob um, just or um, Chipek just took over uh, not too long ago, and he's already kind of maybe out. Um, I know he kind of got stuck with a shit hand with the pandemic, and that's obviously not the easiest to overcome. But um, I'm intrigued to see how, if Iger does come back, how he kind of really 
um, mix these new plays because a lot of what he did was with the big IPs and buying different companies, you know, and obviously they already own a majority. So I'm curious to kind of see what his kind of next big moves are um, to kind of advance the company and the theme parks. So, yeah, I mean, so I think traffic has been going this very um, business route where he's like completely focused on, you know, how do we make, how do we increase business? How do we make money? And I know that it's a company, but it's also been to the detriment of a lot of people, you know, fans specifically. Um, so, I mean, obviously Chappick is not the biggest, you know, we're not the biggest Chappick supporters. Uh, and I don't feel like anyone is. Um, I loved Bob Iger and I read his autobiography. I thought he, he really broke down like how he ran the company and it was really smart. Um, and it, I don't, I didn't think he should leave. Like he's, he's capable. He, you know, he took the company from pretty much bankruptcy to the biggest company in the world. So, I mean, he would be the best option to come back. So, on this podcast, 90% of the time, I just bullshit and I say that I hate this guy, I hate that guy. Obviously, I'm never really serious. Um, so, I'm going to be serious for a second on this because uh, just a quick recap on Iger's uh, accolades as Disney CEO. Acquired Lucasfilm, acquired Pixar, acquired Marvel. Um, apparently, there were he, he has this impression that if Steve Jobs were still alive, that he, they were going to try to merge Disney and Apple, which I think probably would have happened. I guess mm-hmm. once Steve passed away, I, I guess there was no uh, camaraderie there anymore for whatever reason. Um, I think Iger, like you guys had previously said, I think Iger is really good at whining and dining these big figureheads, obviously with getting Fox to uh, agree. That's like a huge deal, getting uh, you know all these IPs that are beloved and they become part of the Disney company, obviously growing the, the company even further. Now, as far as... Uh, um, you know, the business side, the gobble up uh, hungry, hungry hippos type to get as much as we can. He's a genius. And he like you, like uh, Kyle said, he brought the Disney company from the depths and Eisner did a great job, too. He I think the company was at some point going to be split and he saved the company from that. He's got his own accolades. But I think what Disney needs, Disney needs Iger um, back for the sake of uh, peace for now. Just to get somebody in there who can truly take over and move the company in a direction that is favorable for everybody. Obviously, Chapek is trying to eat like the cost-cutting guy or whatever. Um, I think what Disney really truly needs is a, a rogue, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want CEO and have somebody below him that's going to kind of pull him down and, and maybe keep him in check once in a while. Because Walt Disney himself, well, he was fuck, he didn't give a shit about money. He's having his, his financial guys always – on his neck about, Walt, you're spending too much money. Walt, you can't do this. Walt, we can't afford this. And his his uh, motto was always, if whatever you build, no matter how much it is, if the people enjoy it, they will pay you back for it. And I, it's, it's worked every time when Disney's done something. Look at Rise of the Resistance. So um, with that being said, Iger needs to come back. He needs to keep the peace for a while until they find somebody who can uh, sufficiently take the reins because this is uh, a huge company that has basically taken over the world, and we need uh, to keep the peace, and we need to keep that uh, creativity going. Yeah, um, and, and it's I mean, it's kind of shitty to say, but I mean, um, having a scapegoat, like if Chebec was actually indeed not going to be there anymore, I feel like a lot of people would be more faithful in the future of the company, no matter who would 
taking charge, you know, even if um, Iger's not the one, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think no matter what direction they go towards, I think if they gave it to somebody else with the reins, I think it's it's not a bad thing. So I'm just curious to see because usually when Nick was saying or alluding to, like, when there's rumors, when there's smoke, usually fire. So. Yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head, Nolan. I think that Traffic has just every every move he's done has been wrong, at least in the fans' eyes. And I think they they feel like he's really tearing down the company. You are not being true to what they mean. Um, and so I think that anything, it, any any way you remove Traffic, I think would get a lot of goodwill from the fans. They're also making some moves internally that are kind of uh, concerning, especially moving the uh, Imagineering headquarters to Florida. There's a lot of people mm-hmm. who are in seniority positions that are now resigning, quitting, retiring, whatever you want to say, from the company mm-hmm. specifically because of that move, which you know can be a big detriment considering what these people have done for the company. Um, maybe they feel betrayed in a sense. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, uh, if anybody's interested – I know Variety is going to do a article on a whole section on him. Um, I'm going to probably try to see if I can find that in hard print. Um, but if you, you know, if you're interested in that, I know that's going to hit shelves soon. So keep an eye out for that one. Oh, and Nick, um, you know, that, that yep. reminded me. So yep. did you use the lightning lane pass at all? Um, okay. Here's an interesting one. Use the lightning lane pass. Uh, used it once because. Every other freaking ride that I wanted to go on was closed for the rest of the day. And you can't stack them for whatever reason. I had ones that were later on because it was very, very busy. So it was hard to get times to begin with. So the times that I did have were later in the day. And then by the time I got there, uh, the ride was closed for the rest of the night. So I only used it once. So fuck the lightning lane. Yeah. (laughs) And I also did see recently – they're adding the parade viewing, I guess, front row or whatever, oh, best row, whatever, for the lightning lane. They had a huge problem with that recently. They <laughs> overbooked it, and they pissed a lot of people off because they couldn't get everybody in there. I think they need to iron things out before they implement them. Also, too, that's one of the reasons why Rise of the Resistance wait time in Florida especially, because they don't have the lightning lane out in California yet, but they do in Florida. And we talked about this on a previous podcast with how much – percent they allocate towards the hourly uh, capacity um, the lightning lane attributes to that giant wait time so you know folks you can you can blame the lightning lane for that one hmm. all right so moving on to a uh, universal and we had a lot of Disney tonight um so there's two big permits that kind of were seen and one involves um Epic Universe, and the other is um, involving Universal. Um, we'll start with the Epic Universe one because I think that's the the one that we're really excited for. Um, I know Nick especially. Um, it's it's pretty much almost confirmed. Um, so based on the permits, they were um, for the monsters land in the park, and they were pretty much based off the ride or the huge dark ride that they're building for uh, Frankenstein, and pretty much it's going to be a Harry Potter uh, Forbidden Journey sort of attraction, Um, except the big thing is that the actual ride won't have um, overhead, like a a box, you know, where you can't really see anywhere besides, like, in front of you. 
Um, for this ride, it's pretty much all open, so you can see everything. Mm-hmm. And based off what they said, is it is pretty much going to be a lot more um, physical sets, animatronics, a lot. I don't think there's going to be any screens or anything close to what they have on Forbidden Journey, which is a really big plus. And uh, pretty much is just uh, pretty dope because um, I remember when uh, Epic was kind of delayed with the pandemic, people um, deciding or discussing um, whether or not Monsters Land would actually be still there because there was a lot of rumblings that maybe would get axed. And uh I think I think it's uh survived. So yeah. um well based off what I've read and seen, I mean I think it could be one of the best attractions and maybe even give Rise of the Res- Resistance a run for its money. Wow. Nolan, so I mean what you said, I mean, it makes so much sense to have a monster's land, especially like a, a monster's ride. Because I mean when you think about it, Universal has such a rich horror background like going back to like the days of like the early monster movies and you know that they all they produced and then now with halloween horror nights being their most popular event i mean how could they not have a monster's land honestly i just want to say i love you nolan for bringing this up because i might ride this with my pants off that's all i gotta say Uh, yeah, and one of the pictures, I'm not sure if you guys saw, but, um, the attraction was kind of based off, like, a coffin style, so it was pretty much, if you think of it as the Forbidden Journey with the kind of pieces of, I don't even know what it, what it's supposed to look like in the Forbidden Journey ride, it's just like a box, I, I don't yeah. really know <laughs> if it's something special, but, uh, the, the, uh, Monsters attraction, it is shaped pretty much just like a coffin with like um um cutting kind of like a coffin slash like frankenstein vibe to it it's kind of hard to describe it only it's very steampunk it's a lot better you yeah, got spikes yeah, and yeah. shit yeah a better visual would be better but um no it, it's it's really cool and um i mean hey we got uh, what is it two years two years almost yeah so two years yeah. And also, um, there's, there's rumblings. There's nothing's official yet. I don't, I don't know anything for sure, but, um, there is a possibility that there might be an extra land that will open with the new park, which is kind of wild because a lot of speculation was just them having the four lands and then them, um, expanding after that. But um, apparently there's rumors that it might lead to um, Illumination or uh, Pokemon. Wow. Mm. That sounds amazing. Just because, like, as great as it is to know everything ahead of time, I love the idea that there's going to be a surprise on opening day where you're kind of like, that's really cool. I did not expect that. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and if they decide to go that route, um, I, I think it would be very interesting because, um, the, the whole park had like a decent amount of, um, rides, you know, shows, et cetera, but adding this new land to it would, that, that would be a huge, huge thing for them because, I mean, that's maybe like what, like 20, 20 to 25 plus attractions that are all top tier, you know, which mm-hmm. is something that's kind of never been done before. If I can 
think of. So, I mean, how, how good do we think that these attractions are going to be? Like, are they all going to be top tier? Because I, I don't know how much money they're going to put into every single attraction. Well, well, I mean, I I look at it. I'm not sure if Nick looks at it the same way, but I mean, based off the lands that they've ha- they've stated and the attractions that supposedly might be there, I really don't see an area where it's it's like kind of like a fill-in ride besides maybe mm-hmm. like one to two kids' rides, you know? Right. Um. So I'm interested to see kind of just where it leads to and kind of what they kind of gear towards, especially when it comes to maybe the shows, because like Kyle always uh, mentions, um, they're not really too big on the, the shows per se, but um, based off what they've been announcing, there's going to be a lot, and I'm interested to see kind of what direction they go towards when it comes to that as well. So, I say each each land opens with an e-ticket, obviously, with room for expansion for a possible E-minus ticket, because if they're going to do uh, that Creature from the Black Lagoon spec ride that they're talking about, ride whatever that they're talking about for Monsters Land, there's going to be, that's going to be heavy animatronics in there too. Plus, water rides are very, very expensive for upkeep, because you're going to have to flush that out every once in a while and replace everything, keeping chemicals in the water and the flow and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I, like Nolan was saying, this is going to be a, we're going to overhype this because it kind of needs to be. If, if what they produce isn't what Rise of the Resistance is everywhere, I feel like they're going to just be pissing people off because you can't build a new park and half-ass something. It's just not going to work in 2024 or whenever it opens. I mean, the expectation is just going to be higher and higher and higher. So especially what they did with Harry Potter and stuff, like we expect so much now, they have to deliver 100%. Yeah, they and they have been delivering when they want to. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like, the biggest thing is they've dropped the ball on Fast and Furious, and that's what makes mm-hmm. us kind of dubious. But when you see, like, the work they put into the Harry Potter world, you know, and I mean, I haven't been on it yet, but you guys love Jurassic, the uh, Jurassic Velocicoaster. Coaster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the recent rise, when they want to put money into things, they do a great job. So the question is, will they, will they continue to do that? I think yes. I I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, like we I think we've mentioned this, but I think if if they do decide to go all out all in, you know, when it comes to building attractions and shows and um the different buildings that they're gonna build, you know, um I think whatever they produce will be rewarded and if not even way more than they even expected. And I think there's something that they just need to consider if they haven't already, you know, because like Nick's saying, if they kind of half-ass it where it's like, oh, something's good, something's bad, like you can't have these things happening for your third park that could possibly make you the top dog or in uh, Orlando, you know, because this, if, if they go all out and it, and it hits, like they could easily be a better theme park in Orlando and nobody would have thought of that even, like, 10 years ago. Yeah, Nolan, I was just going to say that. I mean, the fact that they're, like, this, you know, they keep talking that they want to be, like, a multi-day destination. Like, you know, like, how you, Disney, you kind of have to go for a few days at least. And so, like, they wanted, that's, you know, a big thing to do that, to put them, you know, on the same level as Disney. And I think that, like you said, go a long way to it. And this is, like, this is their time. Like, you can't, 
you know, can't be cheap now. You have to go in and try to get that top spot. Yeah. So, oh, you go. Just really quick, before we move on, one thing that I want to say, Universal is working with, like, a quarter of what Disney has as far as characters and movies and properties and whatnot. They are underutilizing a lot of what they have in the bag, i.e. Jaws. You could go more with Mm -hmm. the – they're obviously going to incorporate the Universal Monsters. Terminator. Like, there's so much stuff that you can – Disney's built on freaking nostalgia. Universal, just use that gimmick. Like, we all love what's been out with Jurassic Park. We all love this stuff. Just piggyback off of it. It's not that difficult. I'll eat that up all day. Put a Jurassic Park t-shirt out there, charge 40 bucks, shit, I'll buy it. Come on. All right. And then also, um, today, they have announced, um, well, we were discussing in a podcast earlier that, uh, the Fear Factor building, um, and that kind of area was, um, gonna be broken or destroyed for um a new harry potter attraction slash whatever you want to call it and uh as well that something that i didn't realize or maybe nick didn't realize as well is that the um horror nights kind of tent that they have with it will also be axed So that kind of brings up some other questions when it comes up to as they have more land for attractions or whatever you want to put over there. But as well with Horror Nights, I mean, that's like something that's kind of huge because you have this going on, you have Shrek, um, and also the Fear Factor building or whatever, show, whatever, not a building, but... And that's three huge things that kind of bring crowds into the event. And I just feel like if they don't have these, I, I, it just, the signs are there to, that they might be transitioning into the dual park thing, which would be mm-hmm. amazing. But there's also a way that they might just stick to maybe eight houses or maybe nine somewhere else and maybe they're just not but something to kind of consider yeah nolan i was i mean i was thinking the same thing when you were saying that like they have an extra park in islands that they don't use for it and they also you know we're gonna in a couple years gonna have a third park so i mean they really should spread it out i got quick thoughts on this one I don't mind them reducing the house count. I'll tell you why. Every year we go to Horror Nights, there's two or three, they're duds. <laughs> Not that great. They could have they could have been left out and I would have been happy. You're gonna go with eight, seven, six, whatever that number is, hopefully it's not anything less than that. And obviously I'm just doing this for the sake of reference. You're gonna have more time to allocate to a lesser number of houses. Maybe go a little deeper with some detail. Maybe go a little deeper with a couple more boo holes. Maybe try something brand new. Maybe go uh, with a property that's that's never been seen before. You have so much more time to focus instead of scrambling. So I'm I'm okay with that. Also, Nolan, are you opposed to them just moving it to islands for the time being? Like, not forget the dual park thing. Just completely move it back. I'm to islands. That. Um, I mean, I shit, I. I take that in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not against that either. Maybe that's the move. Who knows? Yeah. I'm just curious to see kind of what they do because um, with 
I think the, their issue, I think, is with the IPs and islands and the kind of them being able to use that property. I know they can't use the kind of per se villains or those types of things for those properties because they, they just don't have it, you know? So it's more mm-hmm. so just kind of just it being there. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if they could kind of get around that. Which is the only, I think that's the only thing that could hold them back to it. So wait, Nolan, are you saying that like that if they want, like let's say that they they set one up by the mummy, that they're not able to use the mummy villains? Is that what you're saying? I was talking about um an island. Okay, oh right, so they, like they already, an island. Yeah, yeah. So like let's say like they set one up in Harry Potter world, they wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. use all that Harry Potter IP. Yeah, so pretty much they they had it for um this year, they, but it was because it was produced, you know, it was like based off. They probably got J.K. Rowling's like um agreement with it because they had the uh, Death Eaters, you know, and they had like a little show that came with it. But I think when it comes to that, is that it's because it's kind of not involved with Horror Nights, you know, it's just its own separate entity and the actual Hogsmeade. Mm-hmm. So like when it came to um, Marvel, and obviously it's a lot different now, especially because Disney owns it. Yeah. Um, but they had a huge thing where they had um, a couple of people. I, I don't remember who exactly it was, but they had like villains, and it kind of was like a, a sour thing for Marvel that they use them and use them in like a weird way or, or something like that. I forget, but. I love that. I, I mean, honestly, like, I know, like, maybe Marvel will be hard to get, but I love the idea of, like, theming it, you know, to, like, the attraction that it's either in or near. Like, that sounds like a really cool idea to me. Yeah, yeah. And just, it's something that's cool because it's different, you know. I mean, me and Nick have been going to um, Horror Nights for... How long was it, Nick? Over you're a year ahead of me, so I think you're at twelve. I'm at eleven. One something like that. You're a year at mm-hmm. eleven. I'm at ten. I don't know. Mm-hmm. One of those. Too damn long. So I mean, for a change, you know, having it at islands or maybe even just both, it just it's a cool thing to mm-hmm. think about. So sounds great. Yeah. So last but not least, um, instead of a uh, history portion for the show. Um, a huge um, pop culture event happened <laughs> over the weekend. And uh, if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home by now, uh, you better oh, shit. exit the podcast. Yeah. Because uh, this ain't spoiler free. Neither is <laughs> So, um, I mean, I think we should let Kyle go first because, yeah. I mean... <laughs> it's just Kyle's. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the floor is yours. Thank you. Okay, last warning. I was gonna keep it spoiler free, but if we want to do it right, we can't can't be spoiler free. So, last chance. If you have not seen Spider Man No Way Home, please exit the podcast. All right. Thanks for sticking with us. So, guys, what did we think? Because I mean, the whole thing about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield coming back just blew my mind. And I knew they were like 90% chance they were going to be in it. But the fact that they were actual characters and not cameos at the very end, 
like, blew my mind. Like, the fact that they were in it for half the movie stunned me. Like, they were awesome together. Like, what did you guys think of that part? That shit was lit. <laughs> yeah. Nick, I don't think, think I've been in a theater. I don't think I've been in a theater <laughs> where people, I mean, literally the floor shook. It was that <laughs> hype. Yeah. It was, the only thing that even came close to it was like when in Avengers Endgame, when all the heroes came back, you know, when all the, the heroes that turned to dust came back, like that was, that was similar. But I mean, it's, it's not to the extent of this because like, I feel like you knew they were going to come back. And so I get, you know, it wasn't a huge surprise, but I mean, for Toby and Andrew to come back and to, to play as much as they did, you know, like play those roles as big as they did was awesome. I think that they were, they were so great. Like I think all three Spider-Man were amazing and Andrew Garfield, like give him so much credit because he's the one that everyone disliked and everyone, you know, did not really want to see another (laughs) movie from him. And then he turned out to be a lot of people's favorites. I thought he was, he like stole the show. Like he was so funny and like, like fun and, you know, it's so different than what he was in his movies. And, you know, you definitely see it was because of the writing and because of the directing and everything like that. Um, but he was awesome. Tobey Maguire was awesome. Tom Holland, I think, you know, he had a new role that, you know, he was like a more mature Spider-Man that you've ever seen before. And it was, it was awesome. I think the story, obviously, I mean, it's not like the greatest story, but it was just so fun and nostalgic that like if you're even a remotely a Spider-Man fan, like you have to love it. And like that was like the most fun I've had at the movies. I don't know how long, like since I can remember. That was so great. Yeah, and it's honestly crazy um how I mean there was a little bit of leakage kind of towards where it got pretty yeah. close, you know, to, to it being released. But for a while, it was very kind of like a mystery, unknown. Like somebody, I remember just, there was just like the thought of maybe, hey, like, what if they actually did that? Like, there's like no way that's going to happen. Like, yeah. <laughs> but like, I know that they couldn't, but, you know, when they marketed the the villains, and so, like, everyone knew, like, there was a good chance that they would at least come for a cameo. If, the, like, I want to see what the rea- reaction would have been if no one knew that they were, <laughs> like, that any of those people were coming and then you got those cameos. That would have been nuts. And yeah, then also, that would have been wild. And then also, another thing I wanted to talk about, or touch on, at least, um, so Matt Murdock, who's Daredevil, um, came in and cameoed as Peter Parker's lawyer, which a lot of people have wanted. And he was played by Charlie Cox, who played him fantastically in the Netflix Daredevil series. So that's awesome that he's back in the MCU, and it was so cool to see him there. All right. So I'm not the biggest uh, Marvel movie fan. not the biggest superhero guy. I think most of that shit is Kids Bop. But I will say... There was a moment in this movie that was by far my favorite scene. A lot of people might disagree with me on this one. They're on the scaffolding for the Eiffel Tower, and all three Spider-Men are just chilling before chaos ensues. They're having a just a, just a chat between Peter Parkers. And I really, really enjoyed that scene because... I kind of like I kind of expected everybody to pop up. I mean, we obviously heard the rumblings on social media and such, but 
it was just really cool to see, you know, like Kyle was saying, built on nostalgia and whatnot. Um, Kyle, favorite favorite villain um, in the in the film? You, you got a favorite? Not not necessarily in Spider Man as a series, but in that particular movie, you got a favorite? I mean, I think I think Green Goblin was probably the best. Um, Jamie Foxx gave him a lot of credit because he was, I mean, god awful in Amazing <laughs> Spider Man two and. He was great in this one. It's like much improvement. Nolan, same question. Uh, yeah, Goblin I think was the best, but I love um Doc Ock. Um, yeah, Spider Man too. too. That was he's that's, great. That's honestly that's probably the best Spider Man movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen the other Spider Man. The one with the what's his face? The new guy with his name Tom Holland. Is that Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't yeah, seen don't. these. That shit's ass. So, <laughs> so no, I love um, those. Those are great. But you know. Um, but, uh, no, I think the, the best scene, in my opinion, um, that, that's when it really got just, like, shit hit the fan was the, uh, when Will I Am Defoe just said, <laughs> not today, and oh, yeah, the whole, stabs the, the apartment, that, that whole, that whole, uh, hur- whatever, hurricane, freaking oh. bomb just went <laughs> off, and then, um, that was just the action in there, the acting. It was just, it was really well made, especially that part. Because I thought the the beginning. Which part? When when uh, they're in the apartment and then the shit just goes haywire. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Never mind. I know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the beginning. Like yeah. Yeah, because in the 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 first maybe hour, or so it was kind of slow. I mean, I, I haven't seen like I said, I haven't seen the other Spider Mans so far in the series. So I was a little, not lost, but it was just like, I was just not kind of connecting with it in a way, you know? Yeah. But, uh, after that, it, it got good. And, um, I also was, uh, I totally forgot about, um, Andrew Garfield, you know, because I remember me and Kai actually went to see the first one of the series with him, uh, back in school. And I actually I, I liked him as Spider Man. He's a really good actor. I think he just got really screwed with the um, movie, the director, the script. You know, it was just yeah the whole the whole thing that the direction that they had was pretty awful. So I think um, there have been like rumblings that they might have him in the next one or maybe make a series with him, which I think is a, a good idea because I think he's probably the best made for it mm-hmm. um but i think as of now i think toby's toby just i'm not sure if it's nostalgia or just the way i think the practical effects and all that i just all of it together was just besides maybe three three was three was a little rough but i mean there's there's a lot going on but yeah um those first three were just do- really dope yeah nolan you make a great point i mean you know that was kind of what i was talking about earlier with andrew garfield like Last week, if you would have told me that they're going to start making, you know, another movie with Andrew Garfield, I'm like, what the hell is going on? But, like, right now, I'm like, do it. Make it. Like, that would be awesome. Like, I would love to see him, like, actually with a good, you know, with a good director, good writer, Marvel involved, finally. Like, they just they just tried to stuff too much into Andrew Garfield's other movies. And, like, I, I watched him. You know, you guys know, like, I loved his new movie, Tick, Tick, Boom. He was a phenomenal yeah, actor in that. And, like, he gave a great performance here, and he was so fun and funny and genuine. And, like, he's a great actor. Like, we didn't see it because 
he was bogged down by everything else. But he was really cool. And like Nick, that was one of my favorite scenes. Also, when uh, when they three of them are just talking. Um, actually, my friend, I went to see it with uh, Zach Nolan, and um, and he said afterwards that was his favorite scene. Um, and it's just like them comparing their powers and their experiences, which is so fun. Like, I, like you know how like Tobey Maguire has the the webbing coming out of him, and the other two don't, and they're like questioning him about it. Like that was really funny. And and then they had like they even like put in like little jokes. Like originally uh, in Spider Man Two, um, Tobey Maguire had hurt his back filming um, uh, Sea Biscuit, and he they originally were going to replace him with Jake Gyllenhaal. And so like they had this little moment in the show or in the movie about him hurting his back and like them kind of like trying to fix it. Like that was that was a little nod, so that was really cool. And then the last thing I'll say on it is just I've been waiting for them to say the Spider-Man mantra for ever, and they didn't in <laughs> you know any of the Andrew Garfield movies or any of the previous Spider-Man movies. They've been dancing around it, and finally we got it from Aunt May. And like I was, they used like the original comics version, which was fine, but then I was very happy when Tobey Maguire repeated like the real one, the movie one. So that was cool. Yeah. Do you guys know? You might, you may or may not know. You know, you know how much um, Toby made in the OG Spider-Man compared to Holland and Garfield. I do, so I'm gonna back out because I saw that <laughs> article too. Uh, I know Holland didn't make that much originally. I think he only made like half a million dollars when he first made an appearance mm-hmm. as Spider-Man. But Toby, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm going to guess too low, so just tell me. I'm curious. Kyle, do you know? I do know, yeah. Do you have that article in front of you? Well, I don't. It, that's why I'm asking oh, you. Let me, <laughs> let me guess real fast. Is it? Is it? Was he paid scale? Um, I think it was a, a mixture of both. So the first one he got paid... Um, like re- a salary, and then the second one, he started getting paid. I think it was like five percent of the movie. Mm. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, so he gained uh, for the second, he gained five percent, and for the third, he gained seven point five percent. That's nuts. On top of the salary. <laughs> so yeah, Nolan, do you have that exact number in front of you? Yeah, I got it. I got it. All right. So in the first one he made four million and without the percentage, so it was just four million. Um for the second he made seventeen point five plus the five percent. And then for the third he made fifteen plus the seven point five percent. So seven I so the the other the third one made I think it was almost nine hundred million dollars. So mm-hmm. nine hundred million dollars <laughs> times what was it seven point five percent? Yeah. So that's sixty-seven point five or sixty-seven million five hundred thousand. I think I saw it was like, like the total number was something like over like one hundred twenty million was the uh, overall number that he made. And then, and then, do you have the uh, Andrew Garfield numbers in front of you too? Uh, it should be in that same article, that Stylecast article. I mean, I can tell you ballpark what they got because I saw that uh, salary. All right, he got um, in total 
for both, he made 1.5. <laughs> and he made um, 500 for the first one and 1 million, obviously, for the second one, which is just wild. Just because with Toby's, you know, like, I, I remember, I'm not sure if you guys remember, but the first one, we were, it had to be like eight, I think. It, it was mm-hmm. in the summer, I think, something like that. But there was like a lot of just like commotion with like, oh, like it's Spider-Man because I don't think this is like the first ever live made Spider-Man, right? I believe. Yeah, so yeah you're right. It was a huge thing, you know, and obviously the only closest thing we had was like Batman, you know, so this mm-hmm. is like their first kind of huge swing when it came to Marvel. And, uh, I mean, they, they hit it out the park when it came mm-hmm. to that, so. Um, and it's, what's really cool is that they, oh, sorry, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. Did I cut you off? No, you're good. Yeah, so what's really cool is um, it kind of came full circle because when Spider-Man originally debuted, it broke the the record for the biggest box office opening weekend of all time. And now, all of a sudden, you know, the last one that paid homage to all these past Spider-Mans opened as the second highest you know, uh, opening of all time. So that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, another scene that was pretty dope that I thought was, um, what do you call it? Um, the, when they did the, the portals, uh, I think that was probably the, obviously with the whole thing that with them coming back was awesome, but just how they, how they did it with, um, I I don't know the, the kid's name, um, yeah, Ned. Ned. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, so how he did it was just really cool, you know, because he had like the way he acted was he had like no clue who the heck <laughs> who <laughs> yeah. the heck these people were, and then he had Toby with like just like nothing like sh- in street clothes and just like yeah. walking. <laughs> yeah, and like what the heck? Like, <laughs> I love when so. Andrew Garfield is is trying to prove like that he's actually Spider Man, and he's like hanging, oh, yeah. and they're like they can do all these things, him. and that was really funny. <laughs> like that was when you knew like this is the same you know Andrew Garfield that we got in the original Spider-Man movies yeah yeah and it was really good really, uh, well made you know because a lot of times um, you know there's a lot of hype and it doesn't really meet expectations but I thought it was uh, pretty, pretty uh, close to expectations of not even more so yeah and and give them credit because like they obviously like with Andrew Garfield, they they really redeemed him. But like as a character arc, like they redeemed him because you know like now he's famous because they had you know he was trying to save Gwen Stacy, you know Emma Stone's character from falling and he couldn't. And like that was a huge you know big thing in the second movie. And then at this movie they had him saving MJ and like in the almost like the exact same way. So like give him you know give them credit for like you know kind of feeling like that was an emotional point for him. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do remember that, though. And, I mean, he also just got through with the villains, I think. I think the, uh-huh. those, uh, the way that they just casted them and kind of just the scripts and that was just, it was just, I, I don't even know what they were, th- they were thinking, you know, because, I mean, he pretty much had a golden ticket with Garfield, you know, with the, the way he's an actor and kind of the way that they had the first trilogy, you know, they had like a, kind of like a blueprint. And it kind of just went the total opposite direction. So yeah, even you could just tell, you know, even with the villains, you know, and even in this one, 
they were a lot better than they were in in the other ones, even just with like ten minutes screen time. So yeah, yeah. Well, because Jamie Fox also didn't look like like really weird. Like I remember he was blue, and you know he had like <laughs> those like weird like the teeth was weird and the hair and everything, and I just don't know what they're yeah. It was the whole thing was just a, a sham. So, all right. Anything else, Nick? Anything else you want to say? No, I think I'm good. Kyle? No, I think everything's good. I was able to say everything. All right, cool, cool. All right, so um, hopefully you guys enjoyed listening. As always, make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at For Your Amusement or For Your Amusement Podcast. Also, wherever you listen to us on, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else, make sure you subscribe, and we will see you guys next week. Peace.